guys welcome to minefields this is joshua michael uh we got mr sergeant slick there and we've got a very special guest here can you introduce yourself my name is duke the dumpster drosy former world wrestling federation superstar the big f yep back in the day so you've been doing a lot of interviews lately man Uh, we've uh, we've missed each other a few times but you've got a big big schedule talking to people yeah, yeah. I mean, especially on weekends, I try to, you know, I, I have a lot of requests of uh, different types, whether it be podcasts or just straight up interview, you know, question interviews or things of that nature. And uh, I try to do as many of them as I can. Uh, I try to get out there as much as I can. I've kind of been reconnecting with the fans over the last two years. And it's been a pretty amazing ride. You know, because I had disappeared for a long time. And so it's been really cool kind of getting back with the fans. And part of that has been getting out there and talking to people through technology, through social media and doing these interviews and doing podcasts. So I enjoy doing it. Well, we certainly appreciate being on the show, man. Uh, I got recommended to you by a good buddy of mine and Mr. Randy Rude. And uh, we'll talk about uh, a future show coming up in a little bit. But... uh, when it, when it comes down to it, how did you decide to just decide to get back in the limelight? Well, it's funny. You know, um, over the course of my life, I went through a lot of different things. And, uh, and a lot of wrestlers have. Good, bad, and in between. Um, my personal situation brought me to the point many years ago where I kind of disappeared from the wrestling business on purpose. Um and then fast forward to about 2013, uh, I actually got myself into a situation where I was arrested, and it was a horrible situation all the way around. And then, Oops. sorry about that. Okay. I really just kind of wanted to disappear. I wanted people to forget I ever existed at one point. Anyway. Uh, Fast forward a couple more years, about 2015, and then into, well, 2015, there was a promoter down here in Tennessee who was trying to book me on some shows just to do meet and greets and autograph sessions, and I kept kind of denying it. I could say, no, no thanks, no thanks. I was just kind of refusing those types of things. And he persisted for better than two years wow. trying, and uh, I finally said yes. Uh, this guy, Scott Hensley, here in Middle Tennessee, got me to do a show, and it was it was a fundraiser for a high school. It was not a big event or anything, but I went and I did some autographs. And it, was, it was nothing crazy, you know. I met a few people, but what happened after that was insane. A few of those people, friend requested me on Facebook, and I started to accept fans on Facebook, and then they started to ask me questions. And when I answered those questions, my answers started to become longer and longer. And then they turned into stories. And then they turned into road stories. So my Facebook stories started to grab a lot of attention. And uh, all of a sudden, I went from 250 friends to 2,500 friends in two weeks. And then with probably within a couple of months, I had 5,000 maxed out friends. Mm-hmm. I had started a fan page. And... I was telling these stories of stuff I went through and and people kind of went crazy for it. Uh, And then, you know, next thing you know, Hannibal TV is contacting me. Devin from Hannibal TV, he does a shoot interview with me. And then, so I do that. And he asked me about a bunch of my stories. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin sees that. And me and Austin were good friends. And it had been a long time. And he got my number, so then he called me, and after another month or two, I went on his podcast. So it just kind of shot like a meteor, it just took off. Um, and I mean, I'm not back on TV or working for any federation, 
what I'm doing now is I am reconnecting with the fans. Uh, they've been really good to me, and I'm enjoying it. And it's just been a lot of fun this time. You seem like you're in a good place. You look great, man. Like, what what got you snapped out of it? I mean, other than just meeting the meeting the fans. I mean, obviously, being away from the limelight after a while. I mean, I can understand. There's I've been in situations myself where I just didn't want to even think about uh, you know a, a large part of my past, and uh, it, it it hurt just to even think about wanting to go back there. I mean, that's a big deal coming back. Right. Well, I'll say that I I'll say this. Uh, the problems I had were, were, were with drugs, and um, and it all started back in the wrestling years. That's why I started using drugs. But it, it ended up culminating. Uh, I, I went to rehab the first time in 2003, and I'm kind of going through this quickly, but I relapsed in 2009, then I got arrested for selling pills in 2013. Um, the first time I got clean in 03, I was determined not to go back, but I wasn't doing the things I should have been doing to keep up with my recovery. I just thought, okay, I'm clean. Now I can go on with life. And I forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. When I got arrested in 2013, I realized something different had to be done. And that's when I got really serious about maintaining sobriety and recovery um, and doing the things. That, I mean, I was willing to do anything. And, and it's also interesting. I, I work with people now going through similar problems. I work for a drug court program here in Tennessee. And one thing I always tell people, and this is the truth, is nobody's going to change until things get painful enough to make us change. And when I got arrested, that was painful enough for me. Um, And that was not only the moment where I turned away from doing the drugs and all the negative things, it was also kind of when I started to rebuild uh I don't know, social relationships. I started to talk to people because I I isolated for a long time. And uh, it took me a while to come out of my shell. But I started, when you do recovery the right way, you rebuild every part of your life. And that was what was important this time. I I wanted to do it right so it worked and it stuck. uh, And it has been so far, knock on wood. And, um, you know, I'm enjoying life now. And... I realized I can't hide from it anymore. And when I started talking about it to wrestling fans and I started sharing it in my stories, that in a way was therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, all, it all kind of has worked together for me. One of the things I know from uh, previously being an addict myself was you can't – I never – when I reached out for help, I didn't trust anyone that didn't know what I had been – was going through or – like, like they had nothing for me. I mean, like they had love. I mean, but like, there's only so much that a that a hug or I'm there for you can do, as opposed to like when you're talking to somebody that has been there, knows how to get better, and especially when there's a lot of shame involved. I think that's like uh, the, uh, one thing that people don't really uh, focus on because it's it hurts to talk about, but it's the one thing that keeps people, I feel, in those spots because you know, oh man, I. I pissed that guy off or man, I, I really should have been nice for her or man, like I don't even want to talk about that one night at the bar. <laughs> um, right. We, we need yeah, and people don't realize that's a huge part of a huge part of addiction and recovery from addiction is overcoming the shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are probably two of the biggest killers of recovery because we spent so long covering up and not wanting to deal with those things. And now we have to deal with them with a straight head and we're not, we can't escape anymore. Uh, so that is huge. That's what throws a lot of people into relapse. Uh, they can't handle it. Uh, some people even get suicidal because of that shame. Um, so that's a big deal. Also on your other point, I will say, I agree with you. Uh, it's very difficult to trust anybody who hasn't been in our shoes. Um, but one thing I stress to the people I work with, because oftentimes I find, People coming into our program, just newly clean uh, addicts in recovery, they often want to find excuses of why something won't work for them. And uh, the point I always make is this. Yes, we trust each other more. However, there's always value to be found in anybody and anything you experience in your recovery. Even the 
you know, they always talked about how certain therapists have never been there. They're, they're only book smart. I heard that all the time. And yeah. I said, listen, there's something that that person is teaching you that will be valuable to you someday. You just have to find it. But, um, you know, well, people, oftentimes people have trouble trusting others that have not been in our shoes. And that is understandable. One thing that scares me, uh, my, uh, I guess I would call her, she was one of my mentors uh, back in Oklahoma City. She used to, man, she, she's had a life, man. She used to be a dominatrix in Dallas, uh, heroin addict. And uh, when I was talking to her about my problems, she's like, I'm really worried about you going to rehab. And I was like, why? Well, I, I didn't go to rehab. I actually was able to uh, find a nice loving area to sober up. Uh, but uh, she's like, I'm like, why, why, why are you worried about that? Because there's people that go to rehab and they get clean. And then there's people that go to rehab that find out better, more efficient ways to hide what they're doing and, and uh, get better drugs. And I, like, I was like, I, 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 that idea never popped into my head. I mean, like you're, cause you are going into the lion's nest. That's very true. And that's another, that, that falls back on the point of, uh, did things get painful enough for you to change? Mm-hmm. Nobody, none of us are going to change unless we want to change. Nobody else can make us. I'm glad you uh, even that. the jails and prison systems, it doesn't matter. So we have to change one thing I always stress, even in rehab situations, because that that shit goes on all the time. There's people in there bringing drugs in and all that stuff. And even in the drug court program, which I went through before I started working at, uh-huh. you notice the stuff that's going on around you. However, I always tell people, just put the blinders on. You're here for a purpose. That's to get clean, stay clean, and learn about recovery. So don't worry about what all these other idiots are doing. Now, I'm so glad you said that because there's the one thing, and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was stay in your lane. And second off, uh, second off is that a lot of bad things are happening right now. And one of the things I was most excited about talking to you about from everything I've ascertained from your Facebook, from what I've read about you online, seeing your matches – is that you're in a very positive place right now. And you said it just a minute ago, you've got to want to. What was the positive thing that made you want? I mean, like, obviously hurting, getting, you know, you know, getting arrested, that, that pain, you know, really only really breeds pain most of the time. What was the positive thing, that your, your, your foothold, that got you enjoying the sunlight and enjoying or daring to go out and talk to your fans again? how nice they were when I first came back that was an amazing thing um, I was really well first of all I was going through recovery but I was doing it the right way this time and one big part of that was learning that uh, you had to get over the past don't forget I mean don't dwell in it but don't forget about it but um, I had to kind of let a lot of stuff go because I was really ashamed of a lot of the stuff I had done, and that kept me from interacting with fans. So I was really worried how fans were going to accept me. Uh, That's one big reason I never stepped out and tried, and uh, it just kind of happened almost by accident. And I mean, the outpouring of positive uh, responses was amazing to me. So that was a huge positive push in the right direction and uh mike i don't mean to interject here uh what you just said a few minutes ago just did hit hit home with me because i I do listen to a motivational speaker named eric thomas and he said in order for you to be successful at what you want to do you must you must find out your why if you don't have a good why yeah so you already know so that that hit home with me that you just mentioned that so I i thank you for that in advance I use that guy's stuff all the time, man. I go and talk to kids at the schools here uh, locally where I live with the district attorney. We talk to kids about drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Eric's stuff all the time. Uh, I say that all the time. Find your why. What is, you got to wake up in the morning and figure out what your why is for the yeah. day, for the month, and for your life. And, and there's no no true words, no true words spoken because um, I'm not – in anything as you know as dark as you two went through but uh, i don't know if uh, josh mentioned that i was i started wrestling 
and I was getting, I was actually pretty good at it for me being a, the older rookie that I am. And I tore my ACL in my good knee and they're like, yeah, you're not going to be able to wrestle for anywhere from nine to 11 months. And it kind of sucks. Cause now I'm like, well, I'm 42. I started when I was 41 and wow. if I come back, I'm going to be 43 and do I really want to do, do I really want to just go back into it or do I just want to, you know, just chalk it up as an L and say, hey, I did a lot of things that most people wouldn't and couldn't because I started trying to wrestle when I was 41 years old. He's so, yeah, too. I have to keep telling myself that. Yeah. And don't chalk it up as an L. Just chalk it up as an experience to move you in a different direction. It's still going to be positive and successful. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. Now, when it comes, now, uh, just want to preface something because I started off DJing, and that's how I got into the shit. And (laughs) and I mean, like, I was I was reporter. I mean, like, I'd interview rock bands, and at least the the groupies would know the songs. They would know who your their names uh, by buy them a drink. When you're at DJ, they're just like here. (laughs) They're just like just here, and okay. And uh, I, I had to get out of it, like because I was gonna die. And then when I started getting into the wrestling business, I was really worried because I know that there's a stigma, if not an absolute reality, that you know you, you get hurt. You get you, let's, let's say it's 1985 right now. You get you, you get hurt. Someone gives you some somas to sleep. Someone gives you some uh, some blues, some reds. And next thing you know, you need them all the time. You end up like Kurt Angle uh, and in modern people don't realize that that's how it happens to them. Next thing you know, you get hurt. You're on Oxycontin. Next thing you know, your Oxycontin's out and you can't get any more. Next thing you're buying on the street. Next thing you know, you're stealing it from people's uh, medicine cabinets. And I was really worried about getting into the wrestling business. Now, that being said, you being from the old guard – what advice do you have for the new, the the new uh, Gen, Gen X, the 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 new young blood that is going to be around that? And these guys are really young. I mean, Darby Allen's barely twenty something, and he's straight edge, but he's doing some hard stuff, and he might end up having to take something to make himself feel better. Um, what should the modern wrestlers go through at, after that long ass winded story? Be aware of, and how can they? recognize things to keep them away from going down a dark path? It's a very good question. Um, I know a lot of the larger federations take a much more serious stance on drugs now. Uh, My understanding is there's a lot, there is drug testing. They got the wellness program in in WWE. I don't know what AEW has, but uh, I know that these companies have a much better understanding just because of all the wrestlers that died in the nineties. Right. Um, when they kind of stopped drug testing for a while. Uh, but my advice is don't take drugs. If you need drugs to on a regular basis to work, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to, you know, there's going to be situations where you're injured. Narcotics are not a long-term, uh, uh, answer for anything correct they are not they are not a long-term solution um you cannot just stay on narcotics we we did uh when i was going through when i was up there um we were getting drug tested but if you were just taking prescription medication as long as you wrote it down on the paper for the drug test form they didn't check they didn't see if you had a prescription or nothing that was kind of the loophole that luna vachon taught me so we could get pills anywhere we wanted and take them. As long as you wrote it down, it didn't bother you. Um, so guys had cocktails that they would take for different occasions. You wake up, you take five of these. You go to the gym, you take four of those. You get to the building, you take a few of these. You get in the ring, take these. Get out of the ring, take those. Get back to the hotel, go to sleep, take a handful of this. And it was just constant. And... Um, you mentioned somas earlier. Somas was a big problem back then, and a lot of guys were taking a lot of them. It almost became like this rite of passage: how many somas you could take. Um, you know, I remember guys telling me they took twenty somas at a time, and they were proud of the fact that they, you know, fell into the ground in this gelatinous mass of shimmering, shaking ridiculousness. They thought that was funny, 
But then guys started dying from somas because their heart stopped. Um, don't get wrapped up in drugs. It's not a long-term solution for anything. Um, you shouldn't need it uh, like that. Um, if you get hurt, go to the doctor and get fixed. Um, there was an unwritten rule back in the day. If you got hurt, you didn't tell nobody because if you did, you lose your spot. Well, it's not quite like that anymore. So you got to take care of yourself. Don't get wrapped up in drugs because it'll just end really bad. Even people that don't think they turn out an addict, you know, you can. Uh, it's just a matter of time and how much you take. So, now, yeah, I would say stay away. I remember uh, on the Stone Cold podcast, Austin asked me, what was one regret you have? Or if there was one thing you could change, what was it? I, without a shadow of a doubt, I said I wouldn't have started taking the drugs. And I wouldn't have been drinking all that alcohol on the road. Right. And, uh, and that's the truth. Because not only it's, it becomes, like you said, it's this crutch that you become dependent upon. But it also changes your way of thinking. Then you're not doing good business. Then you're doing stupid stuff. Then your interactions with the promoters and the other boys are not good. So all those things happen to me, and that's what will happen if you get wrapped up in drugs. Now, I'm, okay. I'm glad you, you, you brought up two very important things that I have on my checklist I wanted to talk to you about. was because One of the reasons why I really like AEW is because in my heart of hearts, when this thing got announced, it's wrestlers running an organization for wrestlers. I knew, and I was waiting for it to, to be validated on it, and it happened with Luchasaurus, that if you get hurt, that Tony Khan isn't going to punish you. I was like, please don't. Uh, Lucha, uh, Lucha, Luchasaurus got hurt. Not only did he not get punished, he was still backstage. They were still pushing him. He didn't lose his push. And that is one of the things that makes me so happy about that organization is that the wrestlers don't have to worry about that. So the, he got he got help. He went to the doctor. They they let him heal up. They're not going to let him wrestle wrestle hurt. They don't want him to wrestle hurt, which is, I think is one of the biggest differences right now between well how it used to be and how it is now. And uh, I'm sorry to interject here. Please. They actually did the same thing because on the double to nothing uh, pay per view last weekend when Brian Cage came out. They actually, they actually revealed that they signed him back in January despite being injured. Now, a lot of wrestling promotions don't do that. They knew he was injured. They signed him. They let him healed up because, obviously, they saw something in him. And I think me and you, Josh, we talked about that. It was my very first episode on here when you was asking me what do, you th what do I think about Brian Cage. So it's kind of ironic that that occurred and that you just mentioned that just now. Agreed, because like when I was watching that pay-per-view, I was like, man, please don't tear quad. <laughs> <laughs> don't tear quad because the guy's always hurt i'm because i know that he uh it's a well-known fact and i don't hold it against him and in no way judge him i mean the guy's got a goal i mean he achieved it that when you use certain things it's going to make you a little bit brittle in certain areas uh he's a big dude <laughs> yeah i've seen him at, at signings he's a he's Brian Cage is a big muscular dude. He was on Impact, right? Is that yes, before? sir. Yeah, he was yes, on sir. Impact, Lucha. Yeah, he's a big old bodybuilder dude. So, yeah, you got to be real careful because you spend most of your time building up all this muscle mm -hmm. in the gym. But in an athletic sense, when you're jumping around, bouncing around, and doing all these things, you have a much more high likelihood of tearing muscles, uh, especially muscles that big. Uh, so that's probably problem he's encountering but uh it's good to hear uh that aew is handling things that way that is very progressive compared to the way it was in the old days man it was it was <laughs> archaic and, and ridiculous i mean back in the day if you got hurt you weren't getting booked and you weren't making money that's right. just the way it was who do you follow now i'm do you uh now that you're you're back in the limelight uh, is it more comfortable to watch wrestling now? And if and if so, like, what do you watch? I don't watch much wrestling. I keep up with kind of what's going on through uh, social media, what I hear going on, and if something strikes my interest, I'll look it up on YouTube. Uh, every once in a great while, I will catch something. Uh, I might do a watch-along on a podcast or something of that nature. But, uh, you know, I kind of quit watching wrestling a long time ago and people asked me why and my answer was always because it's the same old storylines with just new names plugged in and there's a lot of truth to that but also I just kind of for me for a long time when I was deep deep in the 
recesses of addiction. I hated the business. I had a lot of resentment and regret. Uh, so I didn't want anything to do with it. So um, I didn't watch for a long time. And now as I come back to, you know, interacting with fans and kind of trying to learn what's going on, the business is a lot different. Um, it's, it's interesting. I hear a lot of people complaining about both sides and it's, you know, it's really funny. Uh, the fan, the way that wrestling fans have kind of evolved <laughs> is really something else to witness. Um, how so? Yeah, you know, they talk about they talk about how how Vince is ruining his business and all that. We'll but, get we'll get to that know. in a minute. Gotcha. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But when you talk about how they evolved, are, are we talking because like you know, obviously there's there's the marks, there's the smart marks, there's the trolls. Uh, are you talking just in general because we know obviously the kayfabe's gone uh and that's that's the main reason everybody thinks they're just in the know and they know everything and they have all the inside information whether it's true or not or they think they know somebody's reasons for doing things or everybody is a self-proclaimed expert they all think they are dave Meltzer jr and they know everything about everything in the wrestling business and uh it's just interesting to watch the interactions. People ask me, hey, don't, do you watch any of the wrestling product anymore? And I say, I get my entertainment from the comment sections and freaking <laughs> social media, watching these people go at it about who loves AEW and who loves WWE and why the other one sucks and all this stuff. Man, that's entertainment to me. And, I, and I'm kind of glad that you mentioned that, Mike, because here's the funny thing about that is that one of my favorite eras in wrestling was the late 90s, early 2000s, because you if if you didn't like one product, you could go to another one. So if you didn't like WWF or E at the time, you could go to WCW. If you didn't like WCW or you could go to WWE. If you didn't like none of them, you could go to ECW. And that was the great thing is that if you didn't like one, you had variety. Now it's kind of like a wrestling civil war where you can't you can't like one without tearing down the other because i do like some things about the wwe i do feel that there are some things about the wwe that are other shit and then the same thing with aew i love i love some new things and then there are some things that kind of make me scratch their head like they don't have a strong women's division i know i'm gonna get you know pitchforks and torches <laughs> about it but i'm gonna be real about it they don't have a strong women's division wwe does they just right. don't do well with it. But we, ought to, as wrestling fans, we ought to stop being critical about it, and we should just be happy that it's just not WWE anymore. Because now you got WWE, you got AEW, you got Impact, you got Ring of Honor, you got MLW. You got so many varieties that if you don't want to watch it, go watch something else and be happy about it. Exactly. And I agree with that. It's just, I think where opinion turns into personal attack, that's where the disconnect is. That's where things have changed so drastically is people start attacking each other personally because of somebody else's thoughts, opinions, or beliefs about the professional wrestling business or a certain company. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, everybody's allowed to have an opinion about it. it's It's entertainment. It's like, I love The Godfather. Maybe you didn't like The Godfather. Yeah, you know, the movie, I mean. And that's your prerogative. Um, it's entertainment, and people get too wrapped up in wanting to be right and wanting to be experts. It's uh, really kind of an entitled situation where people have, uh, are becoming very egotistical, like only their opinion matters. Uh, but it is kind of comical, like I said, to sit back and watch these interactions, too. So, How would you, uh, if... If AEW approached you and said, "Hey, we 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 want the dumpster. Let's uh, let's talk." Um, not in terms of like actually in ring work. I think you'd be a positive influence there. I think you mentioned earlier how progressive they are. I think someone like you. I mean, like I know what you do on, for your shoot job. I mean, that's honorable. I mean, like the, someone like you needs to be backstage like that. Like, not like slapping you know syringes out of people's hand. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm saying, uh, how would you, if if AEW approached you, how would you want to be part of their infrastructure? You know, that would be an interesting question. Uh, I would, I would jump at the chance to get back into the wrestling business in some capacity like that. Uh, you know, 
working with some of the new guys coming in, helping them find their way, uh, you know, avoiding some of the pitfalls that a lot of people fall into, uh, uh, you know, from a motivation perspective, uh, all these things. Um, also, you know, like if there is some type of a wellness program in place or, or something for somebody has any kind of issues, uh, I could help with that for sure. Um, so, but, but yeah, I would love to jump back into the business, maybe do a little producing, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had really good ideas. In fact, Vince McMahon stole some of my ideas, but we're, we can talk about that another time. Okay. But, uh, but no, I, uh, I always had fun with coming up with stuff. I mean, hell, me and Austin used to ride up and down the roads drinking natural light beer, coming up with crazy ideas. So, um, in some capacity, I would love to work in the business again, for sure. Well, I, I think you would be a value. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think you would be a very valuable asset if you if if you was welcome back in some capacity. It doesn't have to be in the ring, but definitely backstage or storylines or whatever. I mean, because I I grew up watching you. I'm I'm a child of the '80s wrestling, '90s, and then now because obviously, like I said, I've started doing this at 40 and what when most people they retire in their 40s i'm actually trying to start it so you 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 don't know how much wrestlers in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s have had an effect on me for doing that so i want to say thank you in advance for that i appreciate that brother i appreciate it he's always he's always hating on himself man Please. Like, like, I'm like, not. Okay, same, you call it hating. I same, call it humbling. There's a difference. No, no, I agree, but I think you take it a little bit too far, man. And I always tell you, DDP started fucking wrestling when he was 35 fucking years old. Yes, he was. <laughs> like, and, and he was drinking and partying all the way up to that point, and then and then add the getting to be in WCW and Bischoff's corner. I'm sure it escalated a little bit better. You're on the level. Yeah, <laughs> your, your knees are getting better. Please tell him something to 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 stop. <laughs> Age is just a number, my friend. It's it's a matter of what's in your in your head and what you believe. Um, you talk about DDP. You know when he when he started wrestling and doing his thing. It's funny. I've heard uh, Austin and other guys tell stories about him too, where. After shows, they would be back at the hotel room. And, you know, that would be when a lot of guys go to the bar and take whatever pills and have some beers where DDP would be walking around half naked or naked in the hotel room <laughs> covered with ice covered with ice bags because that's how he handled his injuries. Uh, he wasn't going to get wrapped up and taking a bunch of drugs. He was handling injuries the natural way. Ice, the best most natural anti-inflammatory there is but again man age is just a number you know there's always things you can do uh, if you set your mind to it um hell i'm 51 and i'm doing a lot of things i didn't think i'd ever do again i'm back in the gym i'm trying to get healthy again and making the right moves i mean at one point i was up over 400 pounds morbidly obese when i decided to make a change in that respect and lost a hundred pounds. So you can do anything you want to do. You just have to apply yourself and uh, work hard and do the rehab correctly on the knees and uh, take care of those things and strengthen yourself. But yeah, man, age is just a number, brother. Get out there and get to work. Thank you, Mike. Because next time he opens his mouth about that stuff, I'm going to be like, all right, we already talked about this. Now, I really appreciate that. And I got to tell you, man, I've been... I've always known who you are, but the thing is, is that I'm really proud of you. And I know I, we just met, but I know that path, not to that extent, but I've seen how far that rabbit hole goes. And I'm really proud of you. And I, I want to be a positive influence or at least someone. It's like, Hey, we, we've, we've got your back. Uh, cause those, uh, you mentioned it earlier about guilt. Uh, it's funny you said that. This is kind of an odd thing to say, but every time I get into the shower, I say to myself, "Stop being guilty. Stop being that's guilty. Good. Stop being guilty." And like, because like that's where this is where we get clean. This is where we think about something positive or how we're going to kick some ass today. And I, I had a little struggle this morning. It was it was a little difficult, but then I've got an interview today with someone that I know is going to empower and I, I, I the like I, I like getting fan mail 
But I want the fan mails that are going to be like, you read the dumpster, man. Like, I, like you, you have any idea how hungover I was and hating myself when I heard that? And and he, and he did that. Like, that's what I want. That's the purpose of this interview. Now, speaking of old age, let's talk about the old man. <laughs> now, to, to preface it, the, the, the way I feel about the old man is as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I feel that Vince McMahon is Jerry Jones. He... He needs to retire. <laughs> he he's got too much hands in the cookie jar. Uh, like man, like it's been since the '90s since Cowboys did anything, and it's been a long time since WWE has been able to really. Well, I mean, there's been some good stuff, but I'm just comparing him to Jerry Jones. Like he's kind of a he needs to give it to Triple H or somebody. Well, I wouldn't say that's a bad comparison. Uh, that's probably a pretty good comparison, Vince McMahon to Jerry Jones. Um, the big thing with Vince McMahon, and I tell people this also, uh, often, I don't think people really realize this, but somewhere back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, it was probably around the time that Steve Austin took his ball and went home, Vince McMahon made a conscious effort to start focusing more on WWE, the brand, and less on specific superstars. He was less worried about making big stars and more worried about pushing the brand in general. And that's what he has been doing ever since. That's why you see things like a star will start to break away, like uh, a CM Punk or uh, Daniel Bryan. Mm -hmm. Zack Ryder. That's a perfect example. Even Zack Ryder. These guys will start to break away and the fans will get behind them. Then it just seems like the company doesn't back them up or it fizzles out. I think that is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It's more concerned with the brand WWE than it is making specific superstars. Um, So in a weird way, I think sometimes they may even keep people in check because they don't want particular people to get too much power and have the ability to walk out the door and negatively financially affect the company like a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Warrior or whomever or a Hulk Hogan. Dean Ambrose. That is my take on it. Like the, the, the thing that confuses me is because I understand business. I've taken uh, whatever classes back in college. It doesn't really matter. But like I've, I analyze everything uh, from the trying to see every perspective. And I see what you're saying in terms of like the brand. It's when they went public. All of a sudden he's got – like back in the day it was whether or not he's going to piss off the, 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 the network as opposed to pissing off stockholders. Now – how do you feel about reading all on the rag sheets about how, okay, so a year and a half ago, AEW gets announced, uh, Jericho, Y2J, my hero, gets uh, signed, and all of a sudden, everyone's paycheck in WWE triples. And then now, they're releasing everyone right now. Like, like they're just ch- chopping people left and right. It, it, it scares me. Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, I... I I think sometimes they, and not just Vince McMahon, but whatever the power structure is there in general, make decisions, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say on a whim, but um, they jump the gun sometimes. Uh, they probably tried too hard to keep people back when AEW started, and I think they pushed a little too hard to start cleaning the shelves when the coronavirus hit. Um, you know, but I got a dog barking in the background. No but uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, sometimes they make decisions based on panic situations. They don't want to lose certain wrestlers or, or whatever. But, yeah, it was interesting. If that was true and they started doubling and tripling people's salaries i mean wow um and now everybody's getting laid off or 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 uh furloughed i love that word furloughed that's what we do we we let people out of jail on furlough (laughs) but uh well uh, actually actually i had a different theory and i I talked to josh about this a couple of months ago uh one of the things that 
I couldn't stand about the E was was that they would they would sign wrestlers, but they wouldn't necessarily use them. They would just get, they would sign them just to prevent them from other companies for using them. So, for example, when you got guys like Apollo Cruz, you got Sami Zayn, you got um, you got a bunch of people in the AE. Um, sorry, NXT who absolutely kill it down there, and then right when they get called up. That it, in fact, one of my friends told me when they get called up, it's like, oh, they got to. So, which brand did they get demoted to? SmackDown or Raw? Because they did absolutely kill it. Demotion. Yeah, because like for example, um, Ember Moon, she's one of my, she was one of my favorite God, female wrestlers. Loved her, and Still yeah, her. now she might have a career-ending injury, and she didn't really do anything when she got called up. So yeah, so that's why I think that when they. When uh, AEW came into the picture, not only were they trying to double down on signing people, not because they needed them, but because they wanted to prevent them from going to AEW, but they also assigned them for like three to five year contracts. So yeah. like, for example, Rey Mysterio, uh, I don't think he renewed his, but he knows that if he renews with WWE, he's pretty much going to retire there. Yeah. So... Yeah, and who is it they just called they, uh, Matt Riddle? They just called him. It'll be interesting to see what happens to him now if he's up with SmackDown. SmackDown. It's a SmackDown. But there's yeah. a funny, there, I heard there was a funny theory behind that because... Kid's got a mouth. Riddle, yeah, he's got a mouth. He's already pissed off uh, Lesnar, and, but he's a Heyman guy. But the reason why he's not going to Raw, where Heyman pretty much runs, is because they don't want to start any heat between... Him and Lesnar, because it's no secret Lesnar doesn't like Riddle. So there you go. Yeah, but I mean, is there really that much of a separation anymore between SmackDown and Raw? I mean, not honestly, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, from what I hear, I don't really watch that much. But from what I understand, is there's more crossover going on all the time. Uh, you know, it's it was something that was going to make money between Lesnar and Riddle. They would do it. Uh, Lester may not see it as a money-making opportunity, and he may be putting the brakes on it right now. Mm-hmm. But if it's something they can build, they can build and turn into a money-making situation and a good feud between those guys. They'll do it, um, and they may just be giving it, you know, raising it up on the slow burn and uh, letting more and more people talk about it. Get funny, funny thing that you mentioned that is. Um, one of the views I wanted them to do was Lesnar. Yeah, okay, you, you there? I'm sorry. Sorry, we lost you. Yeah, um, no, whenever somebody calls me, it cuts me off. Um, but I was just saying that everybody's going to spend time talking about how much Lesnar hates this guy and that everybody's buying into all of that. Well, mm-hmm. all of that could be perfect. They could just be building up this three-quarter shoot feud, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it'll make money down the road. It just depends on how Riddle performs on his way up. How did you deal with locker room shitheads like that? I just told them they were fuckheads and leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I pretty much, see, I didn't have a filter, man. That was one of my problems. I would tell Shawn Michaels to kiss my ass. I would tell. But the thing is, I never really had to do that because I kind of, I pretty much got along with everybody. Um, at least I tried to, which was another problem. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's something to be said for, not being everybody's friend, um, you know, there's an old saying in this business: you can make money or you can make friends. But you can't make. Shawn Michaels used to say that. Yeah, Mike Shawn, Shawn Michaels used to say that all the time. But uh, I wouldn't take shit off anybody. But uh, I didn't normally have to. I kind of got along with most people, uh, and I always had fun. And they didn't really worry about me as being a threat because uh, there was a lot about the business that I did not understand back then, and I. Come to the point where I can admit that, and I, you know, it's not a big deal. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't take crap off people. If, if somebody pissed me off, I would tell them to their face. I've done that to John Michaels in Kuwait one time. Uh, uh, I almost got in a fight with Ahmed Johnson in Germany one time. So, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> how did you do business? I mean, like when you had to talk purse, when you had to talk storyline, how did you approach it? Well, you really didn't have much of an opportunity if you were a opening to mid-card guy. They were just putting you in these little spots uh, where they wanted you. Um, you know, it's like they bring you in, they build you up, right? and they decide what they're going to do with you. Um, 
And in my case, I became that guy that I would, I started doing jobs for all the new big heels that would come in. Uh, you know, when Vader came in and mankind came in and, you know, when PCO came back as Pierre, Jean Pierre Lafitte, or whoever it was, I was one of the main guys that would do that job. And then, um, interestingly, it got to the point where they weren't even doing that with me much anymore. Uh, I was coming to TV, but they weren't using me. I wasn't on the road that much. And in those days, if you weren't working, there was no guaranteed contract. You weren't making money. Right. And uh, my contract was coming up. Uh, my first two years was coming up and I was at TV one night and this new guy was there that they out of the, I wasn't scheduled to work. And then at last second they said, we want you to work with this guy and put him over. And it was the ringmaster. <laughs> and my, my contract was up like right around the corner. And I, I Brett Hart gave me the piece of advice. He just said, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so I, I refused. That was about the only time I ever did any kind of business for myself. And they listened because my contract was up. They promised me all kinds of things. They put me in the feud with Triple H. And then as soon as I resigned my contract, I lost to Triple H and went right back to doing jobs for the New Heels. So that's how they paid me back. But it was always interesting. Me and Austin always have always, even to this day, we laugh about the fact that I wouldn't do a job for probably the biggest icon this industry has ever seen when he first came in <laughs> but it wasn't and the thing is i sat down with steve at the time i didn't even know him i said listen we're not working together and i'll tell you why there's nothing to do with you it's just they've been killing me for months here they're not putting me on the road road they're starving me and tonight is the night that i've chosen to take a stand it just so happens I was supposed to wrestle you, but I want you to understand it's nothing personal. And he was like, that's cool, man. And that's when we became really good friends. So that's awesome. It was an interesting thing, but we still laugh about how Duke the Dumpster would not do a job for Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> now, now, if, if you're giving advice to someone that is having to do a lot of enhancement work, how do you walk that line before you end up being shelved? And always being the yes man, because like, obviously you're always going to tell Vince yes, that's what he wants to hear. Um, there's a few very far between stories where someone actually was able to stand up to him and get their way. Um, but that's Vince. It's, it's, a different, it's a different time now. It, how, what advice would you give to any wrestlers right now that are having to do a lot of enhancement work um, and maybe saying yes too many times? Well, there's a couple of pieces of advice. One is, it all depends on what your money situation is. Are you, are you on a guaranteed multi-year contract that's making good money? Uh, also, go into this game with some type of financial representation. Don't do it on your own. It's a big mistake people make. Have somebody to represent you in, in any kind of dealings with the office when it comes to contracts. Another thing is it's not necessarily about saying yes or no to Vince McMahon. One big mistake I always made was if you don't like an idea that they are presenting to you, if you have a strong alternative that you can offer, Vince will listen. At least he would back then. So if you were to say, how about if we try this or how? How about if we do it this way? As opposed to saying, no, I'm not going to do that and not offering up any alternative. And that was always my mistake. And, you know, I never had alternatives. I didn't even look at it that way. Uh, again, that was one of those ways I was kind of clueless. And uh, that's where a lot of people make mistakes. You know, you can change what they have in mind for you sometimes. I don't know now so much. They got all these writers. But you got to have an alternative on deck you got to have a good idea, locked and loaded, and ready to present in all situations. That is a huge piece of advice. Don't just go in there and say, oh, I'm going to say no or I'm going to refuse. No, because then you look like an asshole and something that's difficult. But if you're somebody that's creative and presenting new ideas that also enhance your position, that's good business. How many of the wrestlers are actually creative? I mean, like... I mean, like, a lot of guys just want to wrestle. They want to be part of the business. How many of them actually have good ideas? I mean, like, uh, a large percentage of them. I mean, like, 
one of the reasons why this podcast exists is because I feel that there should be no blurred line between comic books and wrestling. Uh, that's what we uh, always talk about, comic books and wrestling. You guys okay. are just live-action comic book superheroes. Yeah. Right. Uh, as far as the, business, the wrestling business, uh, back then it was always interesting. You could tell if somebody really wasn't creative on their own behalf, they were usually stuck in opening mid-card status. Uh, now it's you, you often hear that, oh, the writers had nothing for this person. There was a way, back in the day, there was a way to raise your own stock and get get your stuff out there. Um, you know, there's a difference between people, let me put it this way, as much shit as people talk about the clique, okay? Yeah. Uh, they were arrogant as a group and all this stuff. If you really paid attention to the clique and what they were doing, they often sat together and talked about wrestling okay they were always coming up with creative ideas and not just for themselves i mean i remember one time they pitched vince for an idea for me just because i was so damn funny in the locker room uh vince wanted to do something with that um and he actually brought me in for a tryout to be his commentator sitting next to him at raw <laughs> but again i was clueless about freaking commentary then and they don't tell you nothing they just bring you in and sit you down and go here do this and i'm like i had no preparation <laughs> but that was something that the click created because they were telling vince how fucking funny i was in the locker room vince wanted to try and see it on screen for monday night raw so they brought me in and they sat me down right next to vince at the studio and they said all right call this show <laughs> i went holy shit <laughs> and I did my best, but man, I was, whoo, holy shit. But yeah, that's how stuff works. And those guys were very creative. Click would talk about wrestling, and, you know, the business was important to them, no matter how much you liked them or didn't like them. Um, they were always talking business, and that's where the creativity comes into play. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd have guys sitting around talking about how pissed off they were because they weren't getting a push. Well, there's a big difference. You know, start coming up with some creative ideas to get yourself over and start pitching them and see what, you know, start throwing shit at the wall in Vince's office and see what sticks. Uh, that's kind of how you got to do it. And, uh, yeah, the click, they were always talking wrestling. That always kind of impressed me. So that's what you got to do. What ideas did you have? Like uh, anything else that we don't know about? I love it to told this story, man, and it's got no... It's gained no ground, and that's fine. Uh, Austin says he doesn't remember it. But at one point, me and Austin went into Vince at a TV. We went and sat in it. It was interesting because Steve was in the middle of pitching the Stone Cold stuff to yeah. them. And me and him were riding together, coming up with a lot of things. And um, one idea that we came up with, and he, he started this. He wanted to start a faction where he was like the leader and, uh, you know, I had just had my hair cut short, so I was just going to shave it the rest of the way off. And we were kind of going to be like skinheads. But basically, we went in and sat with Vince, and I kind of laid out this plan. I said, we're going to be a faction of kind of Generation X type guys, you know, with skinheads. We just have to be skinheads. We're not racists. Right. We're, not white suprem we're not white supremacists, but we just so happen to beat up the group, the wrestling group of African Americans, and there could be a wrestling, there could be a wrestling group of Hispanics, there could be a wrestling group of these people, um, and these were this is all stuff we threw at Vince, and he just, I just remember before we went in, I said, Steve, if he doesn't like this idea, we're gonna know really quick, and don't you worry about me, because this is when I was on my way out anyway, I knew it, and. Uh, I just told him, you know, don't worry about it. And I think I even got up and left in the middle of that meeting and left him in there with Vince. But, uh, yeah, later on they had D-Generation X. They had DOA, the skinhead faction. They had Nation of Domination. They had the Boricuas. They had, they had all kinds of shit going on. Shit, but, uh, they had X-Pac and yeah. fucking Blackface, man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of – well, if you watch it now, it's like kind of cringeworthy, like, ugh. This is the nineties. So I'm like, God, why am I watching this? Well, we were. This was. This was. This was right on the edge. This is before Vince took off the gloves, as they say. 
we were still family entertainment back then. We were coming out of the 80s, the early 90s. We were still kid-oriented. So Vince wasn't doing any of that stuff. I remember when Jerry Lawler hit me on Live Raw with my own garbage can. That was my first angle. They freaked out. They would never show it again. They apologized for it because that was too violent. That's how it was back then. So as I'm pitching this idea, Vince's eyes got really big, like, holy shit, I can't believe you're saying this to me. And, uh, but it's just funny, you know, a couple years removed, and all of a sudden, they're coming out with all this stuff, and everybody has a faction, and, you know, crossing different lines, and hardcore stuff, and everything, so. Now, now that, that, that just blows me away, man. <laughs> but at, at the same time, though, it, it still happened, and, and you were there. Uh, you're, you've told us so much about like how uh, ideas that you know didn't happen, things that you uh, regret. What are some of your favorite things? I mean, like things that you haven't told anyone about. Like, I mean, little things, and whether or not it was like with the locker room, how stinky it was, and you were just there, or uh, the, I want some little details. Well, a couple of great, a couple of things that most people enjoy in the wrestling business is one being around the boys. The boys are hilarious. Agreed. Uh, I mean, you talk about a group of characters. Um, some of the funniest dudes you'll ever meet, and that's on a daily basis, man. Even when you're having a bad day, it's funny as hell to sit in a locker room with a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Savio Vega. Some of the funniest dudes I've ever, or a damn, damn Dustin Goldust. Holy shit, he's one of the funniest dudes I've ever met in my life. So it was in that respect, it was easy to go to work, uh, even when things weren't going your way professionally. But I'd say the other thing that I really loved about the business, which is why I'm really enjoying things now, is interactions with fans. I always loved interacting with the fans, doing the meet and greets. You know, they were always happy to send me on the free autograph signings. You know, these other guys were getting like a thousand or two thousand dollars to go sign autographs. You know, some, but they would send Duke the Dumpster on the free stuff because they knew he was always willing to go do it. Uh, and that's one of the big things I enjoyed, man. I enjoyed interacting with the fans because it was it was always really cool to see our effect on kids, man. Their eyes would get really big and they were just so, like, in awe of their favorite superstars. So um, I took that very seriously and, uh, and I always loved interacting with those folks. Now, everything you've told me so far, I feel like you're just on the cusp of something, man. Like you've got some ideas. Like they're they're brimming, aren't they? You're you got to come back in some shape or fashion, man. Like the the ideas are there. We want you there. If we didn't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Um, well, you never know. You never know. I mean, there's always stuff stewing around in this brain. What's left of it? But uh, you know, I do enjoy again, certain aspects of this business. And uh, and who knows? You never know. Maybe I, somebody will find a spot that they think I will fill and I will go in. One thing I can guarantee you, if it does happen, I will be prepared. and I will have great ideas. Uh, and I will take full advantage. You know, I think one of the big mistakes I made early on when I came in to the WWF back then the first time was expecting them to push me. Right. And you got to push yourself. And if it was as a wrestler back then or now, maybe if I was in some type of a creative position, I'm going to push myself and my ideas and come up with great stuff and always brainstorm. Be like the clicks. Sit around and talk wrestling and come up with great ideas. I will be prepared. I can guarantee you that. Now, where do you usually get your ideas? Like uh, any particular sources? Like uh, you watch like superhero movies? Do you watch uh, documentaries? Um Old World War II stuff. I mean, like... Uh, all, all of the above. How do we get in the every head of the facet. <laughs> I was going to say, every facet of life, man. You walk through life and you see uh, situations, good, bad, or in between. Uh, things that, things that uh, kind of motivate you or drive you or, or kind of light a fire under you or other people. Um, and finding ways to translate that, whether it be in the wrestling business or wherever, uh, you know, I think that's where it has to come from, uh, real life and, and things that you experience, because then you can be passionate about it. If it's something that is that comes from the heart, 
and something that you have personally experienced that you have personal stock in, then you will put your full effort behind it, whatever that idea or situation may be. That's the way I feel about it now. So. Now, as we wind down, how do you find joy in your day-to-day life? I mean, like we talked about being a lot of different things here, and and the the, the one thing that I, I this you've caught me at a, a rare moment where I'm able to talk about certain things. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've even even told Mrs. Slick this sort of stuff, but even then, how do you find joy in your day-to-day life when when things are weighing you down? Because a lot of things are weighing a lot of people down right now. Last night, I, I was talking to Mr. Slick and I was like, listen, man, like I'm not black, but I don't know how to help. And he, he, he like, that was a big, like, I felt like I was going to offend him asking him that, but I want to be a positive person. Uh, Tony is nothing but positive to me, but it's hard for me to find positive moments in my life. And I want to know how you find it on, on difficult days. I think that's a matter of perspective, my friend. Uh, as you have shared earlier, you've been some, through some pretty tough situations in your life, as have I. Um, sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I'm just happy that I'm not dope sick, and I don't have to chase drugs today. That's a, a good place to start. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's not your job to fix anything. Um, you know, sometimes you can be supportive without having to actually solve anything, uh, given today's current social situations. Um, but, you know, I, my sponsor, I, 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 was, I went to Narcotics Anonymous, obviously, for a long time, and I still do. But my first sponsor was, he said, you know, a lot of people talk about having good days and bad days. I have good days and challenging days. And I do not let the challenging days get the best of me. Um, I just had a, I had a surgery. You know, I'm an amputee. My left foot was amputated in 2013 when all of this shit was going on. And um, so I have a stump. <laughs> and I had an infection in my stump uh, at the end of last year, November 13th last year. And I had a surgery to cut it out. And I've been healing ever since. And it's, it's insane how slow it's been healing. And I've been having to roll around on a knee walker, and I got bursitis in that knee because it was pushing too much pressure on my all of these horrible things, these yeah. physical ailments. My body hurts from the old wrestling injuries and all these terrible things, and I wake up every day in pain and blah, 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 blah. But you know what? At least I get to wake up. I don't have to go to jail or prison today. I don't have to wake up dope sick in that miserable existence anymore. So life is beautiful <laughs> compared to where I came from. So it's all a matter of perspective, man. It's where you've come from, where you know that you're going, uh, and uh, don't sweat the small shit, man. Um, And as far as the big social issues and stuff, man, you know, a lot of crazy stuff is going on, but it's not my job to fix the world. Uh, If somebody asks my opinion, I'll give it, Um, but I don't have the answers for that stuff. I know there's a lot of wrong going on on both sides, obviously a lot <laughs> on both sides. Right. Um, right. In, in how it went down and now the response, but you know, um, I would be egotistical to think that it's somehow my job to, to fix things in this world. Um, all I can do is lead by example in terms of the people that I know that experience me on a daily basis they can see how I act and how I treat people. I treat people the way I want to be treated, no matter who they are, where they come from. Um, you know, uh, I learned a long time ago not to hold grudges and resentments. Man, that's a part of my recovery. And uh, I don't get too wrapped up in negativity, man. I teach these kids that I talk to at the school. If I say anything that brings you negativity in your life, you have to cut out of your life. Right. you got to move forward in a positive way. And uh, there's a lot of negativity in the world that it would be very easy to get caught up in. But you can't let yourself do that. Again, it's about perspective. Where you've been, where you're going, uh, you know, you got to stay positive. Well, we cannot uh, – Slick, I mean, you got any words, man? Like I, I don't know how to even tell you how thankful I am for such a great conversation today. 
It, you know what? I'm I'm actually I'm I'm actually speechless right now because he he's been actually wanting me to do the interview with you for weeks and like I was mentioned before, I just came off recovery, so like everything's going on with work. I'm going to school. I'm trying to be a dad and all that stuff. And uh, he's like, "Hey man, I'm gonna I'm interviewing uh, the dumpster." I'm like, "Real? Like I want you to do it with me?" I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, "I'll do." It. And then he's like, "Look." Give me a time. I'll make sure it worked around you. So uh, it's a huge honor to you both, both for me, allowing me to help him interview you. And also, Josh, thank you for, like I said, it's, it's a big deal because you know how much of a wrestling fan I am. So, you know, to get one of the guys that I watched c- coming up and being what I am, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't have any words. But I thank you again, Mike, for your time. I know you got other things that you're going to be doing. So you're spending an hour with uh, me and Josh. I definitely appreciate it, sir. Guys, I appreciate you having me on the show. And, and again, it's a matter of perspective. It's my, I, I'm the one that's honored to be on this show with you. And, and this is and has been truly a great conversation. It wasn't your normal, hey, where did you start wrestling? And who was your favorite opponent? And how did you like this wrestler? It wasn't that. There was some meat and potatoes behind this discussion. That's the kind of conversation I like to have. So that's, it's truly been an honor for me to be on your show. That's how Minefields works. And it's funny, meat and potatoes is one of our catchphrases. <laughs> meat and potatoes, like we always thought, this is where the meat and potatoes are at, man. But uh, this, has been a, uh, this has been a milestone in my life. Uh, Slick, thanks for sharing it with me. Uh, Mr. Dumpster, uh, I'm going to stop the recording, but don't hang up. Minefields, right. this is dangerous. <laughs>